Well, good morning, and thank you for your very warm welcome to me here in this church that has meant so much to our denomination and to me uh, personally and to my congregation. I want to thank you for starting the PCA. Uh, That's a great gift you have given to me. I want to thank you for the uh, pouring such uh, generosity with people and funds and leadership into the seminary that trained me, Covenant Seminary. Fleetwood Maddox has been a friend for many years, and I'm grateful for his leadership and his attention to me even as a student. And uh, then thank you for sending us so many good staff people. You train them up real real good here. I'm from Alabama, so I can say that, can I? You train them up real good. And then you send them to us, and they are great people. And then we send ours back to you, like Rashid and and uh, Alex and, and uh, many others I can look around, and uh, you uh, help them to to go on in their faith. I know that they're in a good place. I'm praying that at least one of my children will come to school here. Uh, None of them have listened to my suggestion so far, but one of them, I've got girls coming, so maybe somebody will listen to me. But thank you for who you are, and thank you for welcoming me so, so generously. I want to turn your attention to Jeremiah 29. In these evening sessions so far, we've been looking at the minor prophets. Now we look at a major prophet, Jeremiah. We've recovered a little bit of Old Testament history by reminding ourselves that that after the death of Solomon, the kingdom split north and south. The northern kingdom became known as Israel with ten tribes. The southern kingdom became known as Judah with two tribes. And and, uh, that uh, that, uh, northern kingdom of Israel lasted until about um, 721, 722 B.C., and then God dispersed it to the nations. He got tired of their idolatry and their injustice, and he, he sent them away. And he continued to persevere with Judah because he had an agenda through Judah, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. He was determined to bring Christ to us. He said, I'm not going to tolerate your sin. So at about 586, he sent them into exile into Babylon. God being the pursuing kind of God he is, in preaching to Judah till 586, about a couple hundred years after he had sent away Israel, he continued to pursue Judah with prophets, anticipating the great prophet, the Lord Jesus, who would come. And thus, lastly, with Jeremiah, he Jeremiah warned them, if you don't repent, if you don't come back to the Lord in justice and mercy and faithfulness, he's going to send you away into exile. Sure enough, they did not repent. He sent them into exile. So what did God do with Jeremiah? Jeremiah, now you can go to the coast. Put your legs up. Put your feet up. Rest. You've done the best you could. No, he said, Jeremiah, go with them. Go with them to Babylon and keep preaching. And preach to the remnant there that they are to continue to pursue just as I am pursuing them. I have a job for them to do. You've lost the culture war in Judah. Now it's all over. Someone might be tempted to think. It's all over. There's nothing left for us to do. We've lost the culture war. There are more of them than there are of us. What's the hope of Christianity? What's the hope of redemption? God says... I'm the hope. I am the Lord, your righteousness, he says in a couple of places in Jeremiah. I am the Lord, your righteousness. And as long as I am your righteousness, 
And as long as you are connected to me, there is a job for you to do. We've been asking this week about the, where are the fingerprints of Christ? Where are you leaving the fingerprints of Christ? We asked the first night, where are the fingerprints of, of Christ in your heart? If we're going to dust your heart to see if it's been stolen by Jesus, what fingerprints will we find there? In short, we find the fingerprints of the good news. Second night, I said, well, if you're united to Christ, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not united to the church of Jesus Christ. And if the church of Jesus Christ is united to Christ, then wherever it goes, it leaves fingerprints too. And what are those fingerprints? And we said, in short, it's gospel transformation. It's the same answer. What happens in you internally is to happen through the church externally. Here's what I want to do now. We've gone to the ends of the earth. I want to come back and ask, how do we leave the fingerprints of Christ on your city? That's what really energizes me, to think about how we can renew, redeem cities like Augusta, like Macon. How can we renew them for the glory of Jesus Christ? Jeremiah tells us, I'm going to read from the ESV. Forgive me for reading from the nearly inspired version all week. I didn't know that you used ESV. I want to read that to you this morning, beginning in verse 1, Jeremiah 29. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother of the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the, the son of Shaphan and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would dispatch your Holy Spirit even now and open our eyes that we might behold beautiful things in this portion of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people said together, Amen.
Kevin Palau is the son of the famous evangelist, associate evangelist Billy Graham, Luis Palau. Kevin Palau is now the head of the Palau Evangelistic Association based in Portland, Oregon. A few years ago, Kevin grew discouraged that all Christianity was known for, or mostly known for, was what we were against. We are against abortion, and we must be. We are against uh, homosexual marriage, yes. We are against uh, alcoholism and, and drug addiction, yes. But that's all we were known for, what we were against. So Kevin Palau came up with an idea. He thought, if the gospel really is good news, and we are tied by our union with Christ as the church of Christ directly to Christ in heaven, then we are eternally and infinitely resourceful. We need to bring those resources to bear in a very practical way, just as Jesus said, do your good works in such a way that men see your light and glorify your Father in heaven. We need to do that in such a way that they understand that we are connected to infinite resources and they might glorify our God in heaven through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So he went to the mayor, Sam Adams, and he asked Sam Adams, what concerns you about your city? I want you to make a list. And when you make that list, I'm going to make you this promise. I am connected to enough Christian volunteers in this city. I will bring volunteer effort to bear in meeting all of those needs, or at least addressing them. Sam Adams listed these things. He said he's concerned about hunger, he's concerned about homelessness, foster care, human trafficking, health care, and poor public schools mostly populated by prisoners, children of prisoners. Kevin Palau took a gulp, he took his list, and he went back and he got 500 churches and 26,000 volunteers. And he divided them up. And he said, we're going to address these seven things. You know what's interesting about that list? We've heard it before in the Bible. When Jesus said, at the great day, he's going to divide the sheep and the goats. He's going to say, you sheep are the ones who, when I was hungry, thirsty, naked, a stranger, sick, and imprisoned, you helped. They parallel all the needs that Sam Adams listed. 500 churches, 26,000 volunteers continued to address those needs. I didn't mention, did I, that Sam Adams is an openly gay man? It got the world's attention. When Luis, I mean, when Kevin Palau went to this openly gay mayor and said, the Church of Jesus Christ wants to meet the needs of this city, make us a list, and we'll do it. It got the world's attention to the point that 60 Minutes and numerous other organizations sat down with Palau and with Adams, and they asked, not Palau, how do you get along with this man? They asked Adams, how do you get along with this man? And Sam Adams said, I know that he does not approve of my lifestyle. We've talked about that. He's a Christian. This is what I know that's more important to me. He came to me and asked, how can I love your city? And anybody who comes and asks, how can I love, my, how can I love your city? And puts their skin in the game to meet the need. I can deal with them not approving of my lifestyle. 
You see the strategy when Jesus said, I want, your, I want men to see your good works, your light shine before them in such a way they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I want you to do things that are recognized by them to be good, that shuts their mouths long enough that they might listen to the rest of the good news. Sam Adams had to listen to the rest of the news of the gospel because Kevin Palau and 26,000 volunteers rolled up their sleeves and said, what do you think is good? We'll do it. It's not that they hid their light under a bushel. There is something for us to do. I mentioned as well that Portland has been voted the least Christian city in America. They lost the culture war. That's not despair of losing the culture war. This is an opportunity. Not a time to wring our hands in defeat. And Jeremiah says to these Judahites in captivity, here, we've got a great opportunity. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do three things. I want you, first of all, in your city, where you are, where you're living, I want you to live vigorously. I want you to live extravagantly. I want you to live in such a way the world calls it wastefully. And here's the way you do it. Three areas I want you to live wastefully in, extravagantly, vigorously, however you want to call it. Verses 5 and 6, I want you to build, I want you to plant, and I want you to marry. I want you to build, plant, and marry. I want you to build houses. Now, haven't we been taught that you're only supposed to build a house or buy a house in a place where you can make a return on it? Well, in our economy, God has created a new opportunity for us. Now the economists are saying it's impossible to make money on your house in the future. So we're not limited anymore. We can go anywhere. And my people have taken that seriously. When I was preaching through the book of Acts, I said, uh, I don't know how to rebuild a city. But uh, I'm hearing from people, experts, that one of the things that you can do, not everybody has to do this, but one of the things you can do is relocate. Or as Bob Lupton says, return the flight. And so some of my people said, okay, we'll do that. And they, about 10% of them, about the number of people that we had at the time, about the number that moved back with Nehemiah to build the city, about 10% of them moved downtown and they bought houses they'll never get their money out of. And they rebuilt them and they made them beautiful. You know what it's done? It's gained great credibility in our city. When they call up the sheriff, he shows up. When I go to City Hall and talk to them, we have something to talk about. When we tell the commissioner we need your help, there is a response because there are people with skin in the game making beautiful places downtown where they're living. Build. Build. Invest in something that you may not get anything back. From. You know what it demonstrates? It demonstrates that we have transcendental resources. In the Jerusalem that, had, that um, Jeremiah left, Hezekiah years before had dug a tunnel. If you've toured Jerusalem, you've seen it. He dug a tunnel from way out at Megiddo, and it, it's underground, and it comes up in the middle, and they can live on that water forever. It doesn't matter if they're under siege. They can live on that water. That's who we are. That's what we are. We are fueled by the water of heaven. We have secret supplies of resources. Build. You may not get anything back from your building in this world, but you'll get it back in heaven. Build and then plant. 
That is, beautify what you're building. That's what I mean by living wastefully. I'm, I'm Scottish by heritage, and we're tight. And so anytime my wife says, uh, we need to buy a piece of art, I just turn inside out. Why would you pay money for something that doesn't do anything? It doesn't even work as a nightlight. It doesn't move. It doesn't do anything. God says, put art in your yards and in your homes in Babylon. Live in defiant beauty. We had a... We had a fellow in our church who took up this call. So we, you know, we say, just, just, uh, just, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So go into a place you don't know what you're doing, but but throw yourself in there like a dirty bomb, and just see what happens. The Holy Spirit's inside of you. He said, okay, and he was literally standing one day with a, a, a palm full of tomato seeds. And he said, this is what I have. So he started walking downtown, and he knocked on somebody's door, and he said, can I plant some tomatoes in your yard? And he picked up some more seeds. May I plant some flowers in your yard? That's all he knew to do. He's a gardener. He's a nursery man. Now, you can imagine what they're asking. Why do you want to plant? Do you see my house? Do you see where I live? you see my yard? Why do you want to plant gardens here? Why do you want to plant flowers here? Because Jesus loves me. And Jesus brings beauty to ugliness. Live vibrantly, wastefully, because you're secretly supplied by heaven. Build, plant, marry. Now, what do you marry off your children? What he meant by that is take your children into this place that is dangerous. You know, we'll do anything to protect our children. And our some of our people have moved downtown, and that's not the calling for everybody. I don't mean that. I'm just giving an illustration. But they, they have yet little children. And people told them they're crazy. You know, more things have happened to our children to harm them in the suburbs than have happened to our children in the cities. I mean, just statistically. I had a student in seminary I taught there. He was from northern India. And uh, North India is very, very dangerous, very dangerous in terms of violence, dangerous in terms of spiritual warfare and so forth. His name was Leon, and he was going back to help his brother. And I said, Leon, uh, you're a new Christian. You've got a little baby. You sure, you, you say you're going back to Northern India? You're, you're really sure about that? He said, I know I've wrestled through that, but here's what I've concluded. I finally concluded if God can protect me in St. Louis, he can surely protect me in, in India. At the time, we had the highest murder rate in the country. It doesn't matter. When, when God calls you to go, he doesn't say if it's safe. He can protect your children, protect you much better than you can yourself. Live vigorously because you're secretly supplied from heaven. I've got to move on more quickly. Secondly, you need to pray lovingly. He tells the people of Israel to, or of Judah to pray for four things for Babylon. I want you to pray for their economy. I want you, I want you to pray for them to, to prosper financially. I want you to pray for them to, to, to effect justice. I want, you to, I want you to pray for their politicians. I want you to pray for their people. You know where he got that prayer list? Psalm 122. We don't have time to turn to Psalm 122, but if you turn there... 
You notice it doesn't have Babylon there. It doesn't say pray for Babylon, these things. It's pray for Jerusalem, these things. God tells the people of Judah living in exile under domination by a pagan, cruel government, I want you to pray that that city where you're living will prosper in the same way you prayed for Jerusalem, the holy city, to prosper. Why? Because you want them to come fat, dumb, and happy and, 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 and affirmed in their paganism? No. I want your light to shine in them in such a way that they would glorify me. That they recognize that they're only being blessed because you are there. That's what happened, right? Remember Daniel and his friends? That's what they prayed. That's what they lived out. What does it look like to pray for your city's economy in such a way that God gets a name for it? It's, a, it's to pray that the least would also prosper. Give us an economy that benefits all the citizenry, even the least of these, that these made in the image of God might flourish. Our mayor, who is in his last term, is a good friend and a Christian man. He's uh, started a mayor's prayer breakfast we have every month. And he reminds us every month, he says, pray for the economy of Augusta. But more importantly, pray that when God blesses our economy, we will not lose our soul. He and other Christians have seen to it in some of our major projects that have really done very well economically, that a portion of their proceeds are plowed back into the, into the most... Uh, disenfranchised and most distressed portions of our city. Pray for the economy, that all might flourish, and that all might see that God blesses the least of these. Pray for justice. Pray for, as we learned the other night, primary justice, not just reactive justice. Don't just pray that that, uh, judges will lower the boom and the sheriff will lock up more people. Pray that that justice, the righteousness of Christ would be worked into the deep tissue of our society in such a way that it prevents murder and crime and poverty and so forth. We just had a beautiful story recently of some of our women who've partnered with another church downtown and done Bible studies together and asked in those Bible studies, how can we reach out together, black and white, in bringing the gospel to bear on our city? And they became aware of a, of a, of a woman who uh, made her living in a very dishonorable way. She was homeless. They took her in. They just loved her. She lived with one of our, our uh, women and and then she had a baby, or she was pregnant with the baby at the time. That's why she wasn't profitable anymore. They took that baby in. Sometime after that, she was falsely accused by one of her former friends of being at the scene of a murder, and she was put in prison for several years with no evidence. And uh, our women continued to reach out to her. We continued to take care of her child. And just before I came, just before I left Augusta to come here, these women had all appeared 
in court before a judge who's a friend of mine, before a DA who's a friend of mine. These women from my church were asked to speak and said, uh, in short, Judge, Madam DA, we can do a lot more for her than prison can. Could you give her back to us? They knew us, knew our reputation. They gave her back to us. That's justice. She's not going to get any better in prison. But she'll get better living in the context of love. Her child will get better with her mama home. And both of them will get better living in the beauty of the Church of Jesus Christ. Justice. I want you, he said, to pray for the politicians of your city. Especially the ones you don't like. You can imagine they didn't like any of them in Babylon. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them, brothers and sisters, because they're really helpless. I've learned that about politicians. Politicians have told me that. Just recently, uh, one of our elected judges came to a friend of mine who's also a judge, and, and she said, I'm tired of mandatory sentencing. If I catch somebody with a rusted gun that can't do anything, I still have to put them in prison for 10 years. I'm sick of this. As a mom, as a communitarian, we've got to do something. So I found myself at lunch a couple of weeks ago with Superior Court judges and federal judges and, and the sheriff and all these highfalutin people, and they said, uh, we need you to help us. I said, did you know I'm a preacher? I mean, you have the little hammer, you know, that you beat on the desk, and the people go to jail, and you, and you have the 40 caliber on your hip. You're supposed to, you have, we just built you a big, fancy, new, expensive jail. The court said, you people have something that we don't. We don't know what it is, but you have something we don't. From a politician's perspective, it's cover. Would you invite us to the table and tell us you need our help, and then we can come in and help? Okay, we can help you become successful. Because we have relationships, and because we know what really changes people, and we know how to get to the root of the problem. You have that because you're connected to Christ, not because you're anything great in and of yourself. Fourthly, he said, I want you to pray. I want you to pray for the people, the citizens that they would flourish in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to wrap up. I know I don't want to put us too far behind here. Let me just close this way. In verses 11 through 14, he says, you must do all these things. Live vigorously, pray lovingly, because you have hope. And that hope must move you to hope defiantly. God's plan is to prosper people who turn to him. God's plan is found by seekers. We have good news to offer people. Come to the Lord Jesus. Don't come to First Presbyterian. We can't do anything for you. Come to Christ. He's the one we represent. And when you do, God always makes things better. What you thought was good was only a sliver of good. We have this to offer you better than you could ever imagine. I have a friend who's a missionary in Pakistan. He had a a big job with the State Department. He was stationed in California for a time. He was Pakistani. But he was convicted that he needed to go back to his country. He needed to, to, to minister to the people in Lahore where he grew up 
as a very poor kid. He had the good news of Christ, and they needed it. So he moved back there. He started preaching the gospel. He also recognized the gospel had changed people's lives. So he started churches, and then he started schools, and then he started clinics, and then he started, then he started sewing classes, and he started, he started farming classes, and he started trade schools, and, and life got better. But he was in a wealthier part of Lahore, and he was convicted he needed to be with the poor people. So he put a sign out in front of his house that he's going to, he's going to sell it. He's surrounded by Muslims, and all of them high-level generals and, and, um, and, and, and parliamentarians and others. And, and, again, and they all beat on his door and said, you can't leave us. You, you can't move out of here. Well, why not? I mean, I'm, I, thought I, was, I thought I'd ruined your neighborhood. I'm a Christian. Oh, no, no, no. Our life has gotten so much better since you've been here. They didn't need the sewing class and stuff. How did your life get better? We don't know, but God has been good to us. You realize the power that you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ? You are a walking dirty bomb with the Holy Spirit. And wherever you go, Christ preaches does things powerfully that you cannot objectify. Boldly. Be bold. In dragging yourself in the power of Christ in unlikely places and watch him work. Watch him renew your city. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these people you have made great by the gospel of Jesus Christ at First Pres Thank you for